From digital horsemanship, this is Finding the Field, bringing you stories and insights from today's most inspiring horsemen and women. The way I deal with people and the way I deal with horses is similar as far as don't tr- trust anybody that lies to you and don't lie to anybody that trusts you. So here with Chris Dawson. He is currently number four in the NRCHA. He's won many a derbies in the finals at the biggest shows. Has been in the industry for a long time. We watched him work with the biggest guys around and then you were out there winning with the best of them, what seemed like pretty short after. But you grew up riding pleasure horses and ropers, is that correct? That is, that is. My folks trained Appaloosas from the time my whole life, I guess. And uh, my mom's dad trained horses, my dad's dad trained horses. And that's just kind of what we did. We trained, they trained them for every event, you know, and it was mostly the same horse. The stories I hear from them about the old days was you had one horse and you trained it to do the pleasure and the reining and roping and you did everything on that one horse. Well, as I grew up and got into my kind of high school years, formable years there, I'm starting to get a little more specialized in the Appaloosa industry. As uh, So they'd send us one and they'd maybe want it to be a pleasure horse. Well, it didn't look pretty enough, so we'd try to rain on it. Well, it didn't maybe stop good enough, so we'd do something else anyway. We'd just kind of go down the line and we'd try and find a place for that horse. And so, you know, it was never a... If we sent one home, it was pretty sorry, rascal. Because, I mean, if we couldn't find some kind of job that that thing could do, then, uh, you know, we felt like we'd kind of failed. Yeah, the, the industry has gotten so specialized. It doesn't oh. seem like that, that exists anymore. I remember even when I was a little kid, there was the all-around, and we would. We'd take our horse in the reining and the pleasure and the halter, and you do all of the stuff on him, and that doesn't really exist you, anymore. You don't see much of that. You don't see much of that. I mean, I think that, I think that's what draws me to the – the rain cow horse is just the versatility of it where the horses can do pretty much anything you want them to do and once they've been through kind of the snuff bit dirty program the, uh, for the most part you can go it's nothing to go rope or run barrels or you know they can kind of if they're not going to be an open caliber cow horse the rest of their life they're they're suited and prepared very well to go on and uh you know follow up on a whole different list of aptitudes so i have to ask you are appaloosas different than say the quarter horses? I really don't think they are. You know, I, I've been asked that quite a bit as well. The numbers are less. You know, I've wrote, I've rode some sorry quarter horses. <laughs> you know, and I've rode some sorry Appaloosas, but I've rode some really good quarter horses and I've rode some really good Appaloosas. And the really good Appaloosas that I've rode, I'd put them up against the really good quarter horses that I've rode. So I don't really think there's much difference. It's just a matter of numbers and percentages. Yeah. As a kid, any, any funny stories that, that stand out to you? Oh, there was all kinds of wrecks and things of this nature. I guess maybe the first time I showed at the Appaloosa World Show was one. I probably only showed in a cow horse maybe five or six times before I went to work for Todd Crawford. And maybe the second or third time was at the Appaloosa World Show. And I had a great horse. Quitcher Butchin was his name. It was named after my uncle Butch Campbell. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of one of them horses you look back on and Man, maybe that horse wasn't quite as good as I remember him. Well, I found some video of him here a few years ago, and he was just as good as I thought he was, and I was terrible. I mean, I, it was awful, really. I was embarrassed to watch it, but we've all been there. But so I showed this horse at the Apple World Show, and I, don't know, I went down there, and 
I kind of worked him on the end. I worked him until I lost him, and then I went down the fence, and we run down there, and we slid in a second and fell down. And uh, Jim Drakowski, who's my stepdad, he says, go on. And so he kind of, I mean, he didn't fall all the way down. It wasn't like we had a big wreck, but he was darn sure on the ground when you could still get up and finish your run. So I get up, and we finish the run, and I don't know, that was probably my, like I say, maybe my second or third show cow horse run. And, uh, yeah, so when I told my mom I was going to go show, I was going to go train rain cow horses for a living, you'd, you'd have thought I was telling her I was going off to war or be a contractor in, you know, in Afghanistan or something. I mean, she, I don't think there was anything more dangerous she thought I could go do for a living than train cow horses. I believe that. You guys are so brave. You know, it's... As long as you have your, if you're prepared and you have your preparation put in place and you have control of your horse, there's not that much to be scared of. I mean, you should be able to get yourself out of 90% of the jams that are going to present themselves. Shoot, you can you could have something fall on you walking down the street, though, you know? I mean, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Is that something you learned at Todd's? How to be in the right position and stay safe. And for sure. Yeah. Todd, he was very big on, you know, making sure that you had control of your horse and that you could get yourself away from, away from danger really, you know, and that's the big thing. I mean, that's kind of how our training programs kind of evolved and to just, uh, you know, make sure that you can stop and steer and that horse knows where the cow is. And so that's a uh, kind of our credo here. Yeah. Cause Todd, for one, you can tell he's got a thousand percent control of what's right. happening there. Yeah, like I said, I worked for him for four years, so we spent a lot of time around each other, and it's fun now to, you know, show with each other, and you know, we help each other in the herd, and it's a it's a really fun relationship there. Tell us about working for Todd. You start working there. What's he What's he got you doing? I was there to be the crash dummy on the two year olds. Mark Matson worked there, and he was starting the Colts, and I was the jockey. Mark would pony him around, and then he'd make me get on him, and he'd continue ponying me around, and then. He'd say, well, you think this colt's ready? And I said, I think in just a few minutes he will be. And then he'd throw the lead rope at me. And there I'd be loose on this colt, and we'd go right around. And so we got outside, and I think the first thing Todd told me, kind of after we kind of got the colts riding around a little bit, was uh, you're going to walk, you're going to trot, you're going to lope. I says, well, not to be smart, Alec, but how do I get around the corners of this arena? He says, very carefully. <laughs> all right <laughs> and so that's kind of where it was and you know basically uh, found out later i forget you even told me but that i was supposed to be there for two or three months so they got the colts riding around and then be gone and they just never told me to leave so i didn't leave for what for almost four years any lessons from todd that have stuck with you uh he taught me so much because he was so great about being able to get the potential out of a horse in the show pen um, I think he's still phenomenal at that. But uh, there were so many things he taught me, but I still think the most important thing I learned was to not hire an 18-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> did Todd let you show? I did there? get to show some there. I did get to show some there. Actually, I think, uh, you know, I remember showing, I think it might have been the first year I was there, I went to a quarter horse show, and I loped shine like hail through the rain work. Because he had too many shows, you could only show so many at the quarter horse show. Uh -huh. And so I'm 
I thought I was pretty big stuff, and he, he made sure I knew that I wasn't. <laughs> you know, no, you go slow. You're just loping through here. We're just kind of giving him some seasoning runs or whatever between major events. And so, uh, that, but that was that was fun. I mean, I think I showed a couple of fraternity horses there for him. He he really did went out of his way. He made, I think, deals with customers to let me show their horse. And... Um, Ron and Bobby Tatum, I had one I showed with the pre-fraternity in San Inez. It was my first fraternity horse I ever showed. And they called him Tiger. I forget what his registered name was. But uh, anyway, I went off pattern on him in the rain. And it was a, it was a little rough week there at San Inez. And then I remember that Todd, I showed one at the World Show right after that. And Don Murphy and I think Todd were maybe partners on this horse. And Todd says, if you go off pattern... You just go ahead and find another ride home. <laughs> so I've tried to not, I mean, you haven't, if you haven't gone pattern, you haven't shown very much. Man, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, so that was, you don't want to do that. Let's talk about that first maturity horse. So I mean, we went off pattern, but you have this horse, you're getting ready to show in your first maturity. Yep. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I was thinking, wait till they get low to me. That's what I was thinking, you know, and. I walked down there in the herd the first time. I think I marked 196 championship points. Clean. <laughs> Didn't lose a cow. I mean, nothing. No major penalties. You know, just a terrible run. But uh, that horse came around, and, you know, as a four-year-old, that horse was pretty good in the herd. But, uh, yeah, he taught me a lot. He taught me a whole bunch. So are you feeling that that show was a rough rough first maturity? That was, yeah, that was But you got you to gotta start somewhere. So there's nothing. Every time like the present to go to the first one. So what was your thought going into the next one then? Well, the next year, the next fraternity, I think I showed a mare called Gay Bar Murata. And same deal. It was kind of something that Todd, I think, was partners on or something. And we worked real hard on her. Shoot, all year we worked really hard on her. And she hadn't been down the fence a whole lot. And um, I don't know. Like I said, I showed a lot as a kid, and so I was pretty confident in the show pen. I didn't know that much about training line, but I was pretty confident in the show pen, so that's kind of where I always felt like I kind of shined the most early on. Showing? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Why are you confident? Uh, you know, because like I said, I showed a lot as a kid, and you know, my mom being a trainer, I show a lot of them just, it wasn't like I had great show horses to show. You know, it was just a whatever she picked up kind of deal, and that's what I'd show that year. I don't know that I ever showed a horse more than one season, um, really until I was probably 15 or 16. And I think that just kind of got me where I could get on one and, you know, get along in that show pen a little bit. And do you get nervous? Yeah, you always get nervous. You always get nervous. Um, you know, kind of echo what my wife said, but it's just how you handle those nerves, you know, and how you learn how to focus them and, you know, just so you can settle yourself back down and just make sure that you put that into positive energy and you don't start thinking about bad things. So, do you force that energy into thinking about good things? I do, yeah. How do you control that energy? I do. Uh, you know, I just, I really try and, some people think, start thinking about the bad things that are going to happen, and even as you start to visualize a run or something, say in the herd, and like, well, I don't want to have any hot quits. Well, I don't want to say that. I want to say I want to quit clean. Boyd Rice told me that. He said, change your verbiage there. You know, keep all your verbiage on the positive. You know, so when you're thinking about what you're going to do, whether it's the rain and like, hey, I'm going to stop. I'm going to start my horse clean this turn and I'm going to shut him off dead center. 
you know, you don't say I don't want to overturn or I don't want to under, I want to stay penalty free. Leave penalty out of it. You know, stay clean. You know, and just really stay on that positive side of it and keep yourself there and just knowing it's going to work. You know, I mean, because we all know that it might not, but. Before you go down there, it doesn't do any good to think that it might not. You might as well just plan on it's fixing to work. So go on with it. Yeah. So visualize how it's going to go well. And right. All the things that are going to go wrong. Right. Yeah. I try and wipe all that stuff away. Yeah. You don't want to think about those things for me. Do you, specifically for the rain work, because you have a pattern and all that good stuff, right. do you take time to sit down and, and think through that pattern? Always. Yeah. People make fun of me, actually, because I mean, I'll go over it and over and over it. Um, and I will, like, literally. I'll kind of situate myself where I can see the arena and I'll run the pattern with my finger. And I, I learned that from Todd Summers. He does that. And it's like, you know, I'm going to go in, much rock to the middle, and I try not to skip any steps, you know, in my head. You know, if somebody asks me the pattern, I might just run through it. But if I, when I'm thinking about it, I want to think I'm going to go to the middle, I'm going to stop, I'm going to sit, I'll look up, I'm going to lope off clean, and we're going to go show around here and just kind of go through the whole pattern just like that. So then how do you prepare for the cow horse? Uh, you know, like I say, we just try and work them like we're at home. And so we try and work a lot of cows at home and uh, we try and keep our program real simple to where there's not a lot of things we have to remember out there. And you just kind of hopefully can put it on autopilot if you have to. And so like I say, we stop steer and rate a cow and those are, I mean, that's kind of, you'd get tired of hearing that if you were around here very long. So. <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't actually. <laughs> In another interview, you called cow horse the epitome of horsemanship. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? Well, just because of how we talked earlier about the uh, the versatility and how that's kind of gone away. And there's not very many events that you can go have to go train these horses to do three completely different events. And so I think that that is a, it's the epitome of horsemanship. I think you have to be able to build your rapport with that horse. You need to have that relationship with your horse when you show up. It's a hard event to catch ride. You know, I know a lot of cutters get on a catch ride. A lot of rainers get on a catch ride. And it's it's just harder to get on a catch ride one when you've got to go through three deals, you know. And then there's and you've just got the old snaffle in their mouth or hack them more. Or not very much for the speed we're going and in the circumstances we're in. And mm -hmm. so I just feel like that that, uh, that relationship that you have to build with your horse is very important in our deal. How do you build a relationship with your horse that helps for that? Consistency. Yeah, just being consistent with them. I mean, I think a lot of the way I deal with people and the way I deal with horses is similar as far as don't tr trust anybody that lies to you and don't lie to anybody that trusts you. And so... I try and make sure that I don't lie to my horses, and in turn, they don't, you know, horses are an honest animal. I mean, that's what I love so much about them. And they they don't have any false pretenses, really, you know. I don't know that some of them don't have a little bit of larceny in their heart from time to time, but uh, for the most part, they're, they're pretty cool creatures. And so just being consistent goes a long way. People and horses both. What does it mean to not lie to your horse? Well, so... The biggest thing that I see people do, I mean, they come here and want to get help is, especially on a cow, they get excited and they run down there and they're reading that cow and they'll try and stop their horse and the cow didn't stop. And then their horse will try and stop and then they kick their horse forward. And then it's like, well, I just stopped when you told me to stop and then you kicked me forward. Well, I'm in trouble. And so that that's probably the most consistent thing that I deal with people 
is just like, listen, what if you tell them to stop, stop, it's no big deal. The cow's not going to get away. I mean, there's, you know, the world's surrounded by water. It's not going to get that far away. And uh, so I feel like that's probably where the people lie to their horses the most. Just try and let those cows tell the horse a little bit about what we're doing right there. And then if I can let that cow be the reward, then that works out well for us. Do you have a favorite of the three events? No, the fence work, definitely. Why? It's the hardest. Yeah, it's the hardest. It's funnest. It's the fastest. You know, kind of separates you. And, you know, we've all been separated in it. And uh, so, but yeah, it's definitely, not everybody can do it. You know, that's the, that's the cool thing about it. Yeah, definitely takes a special kind of person. <laughs> right. Any special horses that you just love to take you down the fence? Traveling Jones. That horse was so smart about a cow that I just had to stay out of the way. And probably my coolest run on him, I think, was, I, have a, I don't even have it. I wish I had it. Somebody took a picture of it and I saw it. And we were going down the fence at Las Vegas in the finals. And he uses his neck. He runs down there and scoops that cow up with his neck. And he's got that cow's head bent around like he's steer wrestling it huh. with his neck. And, I mean, I just got my hand down and he's just got him. And, and he would do that pretty consistently. I mean, like, the only times we had bad runs is if I was like, hey, no, you don't. You know, if I insisted on having a little more input, that's when usually something would go wrong. If I just got the heck out of the way and, hey, it's time to go down the fence, he usually had that pretty well under control. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. What's his personality like in the barn? Um, he, they tell me he's a lot like me, which is maybe slightly irritating. <laughs> but I'd say he's confident. He's not mean. He can be a little obnoxious from time to time. But uh, I don't think there's a mean bone in his body. And so, I don't know. We're pretty similar, I'd say. Sounds like he has the right to be confident. The right? Yeah, no, he's he, he sure packed me around quite a bit. So. What about a challenging horse? You know, they all have their own challenges, you know. I mean, there's none of them that were just simple. I think some of them, Shiny Sparkle was another one that was a really good fence horse, and she was a really good horse everywhere. And she was challenging because she was such a good show horse. She wasn't the greatest horse outside. And she, but when she was showtime, she was, she was all business. And what do you think that was? I have no idea. She just loved a horse show. She just knew it was a She just knew you could feel her. You'd, you'd trot in there. This is a trot in or a lope in, and you'd feel her kind of look up and see them judges and be like, they're here to see me. And her whole personality would just change. Her ears would come up. She'd just get softer and just feel better and just like, ha I'm so pretty, and I'm going to horse show now. And it was awesome, and I won a lot of money on her doing that. And I mean, there are people outside were like, what did you just do on that one? I was like, I didn't do anything. I just got in there and got out of the way. You should take credit for it. Right? It's well, magic. Right, it's magic, yeah. It was, it, if you saw it, you would think it was magic because it was it was pretty incredible. You've said a couple of times getting out of their way. What does that mean? Well, you know, you teach them at home what to do. And like I say, just try not to be a micromanager when you get in there. You know, when it's time to go horse show, you just go horse show. You know, that's... People tell me there's good horse trainers and there's good showmen. And it's hard because, like, a good horse trainer, I think, has to micromanage a little bit. And a good showman can't micromanage. And so it's hard to be both. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm a lot better showman than I am a horse trainer. What about a time where you maybe went out there and micromanaged yours during the show and, and got Yeah, I'm trying to think of which one it was. I think, like, TJ. Yeah, in the bridle, I went down and 
I was going down the fence. I think it was for a second turn. And I didn't think this cow was going to head. I thought, we need to go another stride here. And I picked him up and made him go another stride. And when I did, he hung up the fence. And I really don't know, but I, at the time I says, I didn't think, I thought I did right. I thought, man, he, no, that cow was not going to head right there. But looking back on it, even like a couple of days later, I was like, you know, I don't know, he's been pretty smart about it. Maybe I should just let him have it. And did you do that the next time? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd been, and he was pretty good after that. I really didn't get to show him a whole lot after that. I showed him the world's greatest there. And he was always pretty good there. So I like to say when I quit. Just getting, when I started getting out of the way more, he started doing better. What does it mean to you to be a good horseman? Consistency. Yeah, consistency and honesty. I think that pretty, I mean, to maybe to make a long question short and simple. No, I think that's, yeah. that's a good one. I hear that a lot. So you worked for Cal Rose for mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was good. It was good. It was, a, like I say, shoot, I was young and we uh, had been at Crawford's and kind of hung out on my own there for I uh, just basically roamed around on my own for a few months and then I went to work for Carol and Robbie Boyce was the head trainer there and it was great Robbie was great to be around and we were both busy and kind of going in different directions a little bit I was doing more of the rainers then and he was focused more on the cow horses so I was definitely probably have more heavily influenced in the rain in there mm -hmm. and got to show a lot of good horses you know you don't be around somebody that's been as successful as she is for a uh, as long as she has been and if you can't get some good out of that I don't know what to tell you so well like I say it was a it was a really good experience for me and you know it really put me on the map because like I say I just had the opportunity to show some really good horses can you tell us about a horse I think I know which horse you're gonna say so aside from TJ a horse that changed your life or career oh for sure yeah my mom had a gilding well there's been so many horses I teach because I you can almost I can almost stair step my life through horses. <laughs> well, so the horse of Ron and Bobby Tatum's, Gabe Armorada. Um, well, quit your butching before that. I mean, he taught me so much. I mean, that was that was one of the best horses I've ever rode. He was really solid in every event. I mean, and he was kind of a family ordeal. I don't even remember who all trained him. My stepdad trained him to do the cow horse. I think my uncle trained him to rain before that. I think my aunt started him. I mean, everybody, my mom owned him. I mean, like I say, he was a quite the family ordeal, that one. You know, my parents have been such a big help to me. She bought my first world's greatest finalist, uh, M.H. Boone in my blood. She owned him when I showed him there. Yeah, Little Miss Shine Checks, I make the open finals on it. Snap of yeah, there's so many of them. And like I say, you just treasure those relationships that you have with those horses. Are they all a little different? Oh, every one of them. Yeah, there wasn't any of them the same. How do you go about figuring out each one? Well, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess it's like how you figure out how to interview each person. You know <laughs> I mean, they're all just a little different, I'm sure. So I don't really know how to answer that question, you know. Do you start them all the same way? I try, I, I try and keep everything, I guess that's how I do I go about it. And I just try and keep it simple to where it's just like telling the truth. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember much. Well, if you keep your training program simple and you're not lying to your horse, you don't have to remember very much. Yeah. And it just makes it easier to where you can just go out and be you and they can be them and you can deal with each other how you deal with each other. 
and then they tell you the truth too. And right. And not be afraid to accept them for what they are, you know, and not try and mm-hmm. necessarily force them into a certain box. Do you think that makes a horse horse better? I think so, because I don't want to, I, I don't want to take a horse's natural style away from him, you know, and say no, I, I can, I can do it better. As long as they stop and they steer and they rate a cow, I can be pretty flexible with the rest of it, you know. And so that's kind of the way I treat them. But what's your favorite thing about working with horses? I think my favorite is, like I say this, I think they're naturally honest creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no preconceived. They don't, I, mean, I have to think this is a pretty standard answer, but but they don't care. They don't care who you are. They don't care what you did. And they don't care if you won last week. They don't care if you lost last week. They're going to come out and just kind of non-prejudicial way every day. Mm-hmm. I love that about the ponies. Mm-hmm. What's your trainer superpower, as I call it? <laughs> trainer superpower. <laughs> if I had to say my trainer superpower would be my apathy towards the score. I, I don't, it really doesn't matter to me. I want my horse to be the best I can make it. And if they go out there and they do their job, well, whatever it happens, happens. And if I was happy with my horse, then I can come out there and I can pet on them. And it's not even, it's not trying to put on a front or anything like that. And if they were good, I'm happy with them. And if they were bad, and sometimes you maybe have to put on a little front. But if your horse was bad, then the horse was bad. And I've had the horse be bad, and I've scored good. And I've had the horse be good, and I've scored bad. And all I can do is make the horse, you know, if I can, if my horse is good, then I did good, and I'm happy with myself. And that's all I really have to worry about. And the rest falls into place, or it doesn't. So I would probably say that would be my trainer superpower. It's the continuous search to be better. Right. No matter what. Yep. I like that one. It's a good one. It's the best advice you've ever been given as a horseman. Yeah, because there's so much advice that you receive over the years. I'd say probably John Slack told me to, uh, I asked him, you know, if he had any pearls of wisdom, rest his soul. And he said, keep your head down, work your butt off, and pray for a little luck. And, uh, yeah, I think that was pretty good advice. Do you have any superstitions when showing? Oh, I have lots of superstitions. Yeah, my wife makes fun of me all the time. Let's hear them. Um, so I wear pretty much the same clothes to the horse show every time, like on my traveling clothes. I have a great divide t-shirt. Yeah, lucky socks, lucky underwear, all that I wear to the horse show every time. Pretty much if you see me on setup day, that's my uniform. So these are like traveling, setting up lucky clothes. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you trap me. Yeah, I travel in them because then. Uh... You're dying before the cow events. You what? Oh, yeah, we, have, we eat beef before cow events. You got to have as much cow in you as possible, I figure. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't. We have to eat beef before cutting and fence work. I mean, even if it's just a McDonald's burger or something, I mean, yeah. it's a pretty easy superstition to hold up, hold with. Yeah, I have lots of lucky shirts. And I mean, yeah, so Sarah, she makes so much fun of me about it, too. Lucky show shirts. Yeah, well, undershirts really more than anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have lots of lucky undershirts. Um, Amy Lund bought me a shirt that said "Master of Faster." My uh, one of my good friends, Jensen Eggleston, has a dog named Ufta, and Ufta I don't know, means something derogatory in Scandinavian or something. I think anyway. I have to look that up. He, <laughs> yeah, so he put it on a shirt. Well, the first time I wore that shirt, I went to the stay, I went to the Derby, and I like mark twenty-five and the twenty-seven or something down the fence. So that's 
kind of been if you need a little luck in the fence work you wear that shirt that day i mean it doesn't always work but it makes you feel better you know i mean i don't know i know it's all silly and it really doesn't i think i've i've grown now to think it's probably all a little silly i was real serious about it for a long time <laughs> but like saying respect the heater right if it's working you don't change anything when something's working <laughs> and uh if it's not working change everything whatever yeah. so that's it. it that's it yeah any parting pieces of guidance you know like i say i mean not to be a broken record but consistency and honesty will take you where you want to go so self-awareness so. All right, we haven't talked about that yet. Before <laughs> we go, what do you mean by self-awareness? Well, just you have to be, you know, you got to know what your strengths and weaknesses are because everybody's got a little funny side on a cow or something, you know. Yeah. Are you long to the left? Are you short to the right? You know, and just be able to compensate for it. I think Kathy Dawn told me that. But then that applies everywhere. You so know, you identify just, your strengths and your weaknesses, and then what? Well, then you can, if you know what they are, then you can deal with them, right? If you don't know and you don't realize and you keep blaming somebody else for them, it's pretty hard to fix. It's hard to fix stuff when you're denying it's there. Do you focus on your strengthening your weaknesses first or making your strengths stronger first? I think strengthening my weaknesses. Yeah, I think, yeah, try and eliminate those as much as possible. You know, identify them and then be aware of them and try and cut them out. Yeah. yeah. Get back to that consistency. Right. Cool. People can find you on Facebook, Dawson Performance Horses, and your website, DawsonPerformanceHorses.com. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank so you. So happy to have you guys on. Yeah, I enjoyed it.